Hi everyone, I'm Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that asked its partner not to panic by, only to come home and find Andy fucking Carol in this kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined today by two guests very much off the top, top shelf. Firstly, there's Andrew Detmer. How are you today, sir? I'm good. Hold up in my secret bunker uh, somewhere in the middle of North America. Sounds pretty idyllic. Uh, how are things kind of out there in the US, kind of as regards to the pandemic and from what you've seen in Britain, what are the contrasts? I mean, I think that we may be a little bit ahead of you guys in terms of people beginning to take it seriously and the government trying mm. to slow the spread. Um, but um, as all things between our two countries over the past uh, few years, it seems that we are uh, locked on the same uh, course and uh, <laughs> not many people like the course that we're locked on. No, no, indeed. And also with us today is Howard Hocking, uh, a Prime Minister we deserve, but unfortunately will always be deprived of. How are you feeling today, kid? <laughs> uh, I'm okay. I, I woke up and I didn't know what day it was, to be honest. Uh, As we been, say, a, a Prime Ministerial attitude there. <laughs> yeah, a, a worthy successor to Boris Johnson. Just mess up my hair a bit and I'm good to go. Uh, I've been entertaining myself by watching going through the John Wick movies so that's, that's oh, kept right. me occupied anyway Isn't, aren't they all the same film just remade well I've not done three yet so I've done the first two ah, uh, sorry for yes. the spoiler <laughs> yes they are very very similar indeed yes but, yeah. yeah I'll give okay. a full review another time <laughs> yeah well yeah next week we'll have a review of those <laughs> um, before we get to the main thrust of today's pod let's first take a dive into Twitter where Jay Williamson asks what our thoughts are on football being played behind closed doors. Um, we're getting it here in Australia, he tweets, which is very out of step with the world. And while it's comforting that it's on, it feels a bit weird and wrong and also doesn't seem to feel like it really counts. Um, Andrew, what's your thoughts on the possibility of football going behind closed doors? I mean, first I'll say I was quite tempted to uh, potentially turn that on at 2.30 East or AM Eastern time. Um, <laughs> And watched the uh, Melbourne City FC match yeah. uh, last night, but I did not. I decided to sleep instead. I mean, I think that I can see the argument for playing it behind closed doors. And honestly, if there were sports on right now, um, America right now would normally have um, March Madness, um, where we could be watching that and watch the college tournaments and have kind of something to focus on that isn't constant horrible news. But. Um, sorry to interrupt. What's what's March Madness? So it's the uh, college basketball tournament, right? Um, that uh, sixty-four teams start playing, and then it kind of functions like the World Cup, but it's uh, every game's a knockout. Right? Uh, it's awesome. It's a great sporting experience, but um, part of that experience is the fans, and I think I would say the same thing about any matches we're playing for City. Um, they wouldn't feel right. Um, both, I think, from the players, that they're not going to enjoy it. Watching the last few Champions League games that happened without fans felt really weird. You wonder if, you know, Inter and Juve in Serie A, if it's that game different, if it's played in front of fans. Yes. I just, yeah. I, I don't know that the solution should be to remove the fans to try to get these games done as soon as possible. Uh, Howard? Yeah, it's a last resort, really. I, if it lo- If logistically... We could play games at some point behind closed doors. I'm not as fervent as they stand that we, sh- we can't finish this season at some point. I'm fine with it, but the logistics of then having a truncated next season are just too much to even comprehend for me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's more as important as whether the season should get finished. We've already seen some, of course, as you said, behind closed doors, and it's a soulless experience, and we've had a few in the past. I just don't see the situation where we could do that but not have supporters in because there's this image portrayed that if it's behind closed doors it's essentially very easy to do with very few people involved but it isn't it still requires a clean bill of health for all the players and if you've got a clean bill of health for all the players if they're allowed to go out and play sports together then surely the general public are allowed to go out and watch a football match so are they put, still putting people at risk by doing it behind closed doors? 
it's just another of these things that we're we're trying to plan ahead when we still don't know when we're going to be able to play football again. I I don't mind if it is possible if it if it can be done without putting people at risk. And of course, you've got technicians and staff that will still be needed. So it's not really fully behind closed doors. It will need a football match. We'll still need quite a few hundred people to be milling around just to get that match on. Yeah. Uh, even if there's no fans there, if it and can be done, it's better than voiding the voiding the whole season. And me. I think also that if you have all it would take is one person of those hundreds you're talking about for one team to come into contact with someone, get yeah. sick, and then spread it to not only the players and not only the other staff members, but suddenly you have a whole new outbreak on your hands. I mean, we've seen how many players have tested positive because these clubs apparently are able to pay the money to get the tests, but it's a lot of players already have it. So clearly it spreads easily in these environments where athletes are sweating and constantly touching each other and getting right in each other's faces. And the tests as well yeah, are an issue. It's just, yeah. I mean, some, I just, as I say, none, none of us are medical experts, but we've had to learn. We've had to take in a lot of information over the last couple of weeks. We all have to how we should act. I just don't see that much of a difference of having no crowd. Or if you can put a football match on, then people will have to come into contact with each other uh, just by making that number a lot lower. I think I still think the best option is we resume football when it's safe for everyone to go into a football ground and for everyone to mingle with each other. Hmm. I mean, the tests themselves are an issue, aren't they? Because whether they're paid or otherwise, um, the amount of flack that they'll get should the situation continue where our frontline doctors and nurses aren't getting these tests to, you know, to see if they're kind of um, safe and, wow, you know, they're going to be in for a whole lot of criticism there kind of, you know, to use up, what would it be, 30 tests per game? Um, on, on each squad so yeah there are all kinds of problems ahead I mean just sorry to take an absolute left field detour here but it was just something that cropped up last night I saw on Twitter that the World Snooker Championships are will probably be cancelled and it occurred to me I, I don't really understand why that is because essentially you don't need an audience for snooker and you know, with a TV... Well, you don't, do you? And, and t- <laughs> Not the most boisterous. No. Well, they can't be boisterous. With a TV rights, that will sustain the tournament, allow it still to go ahead. With a, you know, Obviously, the sponsorship will, will pay for the players winning. So, uh, really, all you're looking at are tests for 32, is it, players? And, and a few referees. Now, I think, you know, just to get some sport on telly, you can maybe justify 40 tests being done there. And once they are, and if they kind of stay in the same hotel, then... That's possible, wouldn't it? I mean, or not. I, I can't see what the problem is there. I've never watched Snooker in my life. <laughs> You're the wrong person to but, answer. <laughs> I, but I would sacrifice my future firstborn child right now for any bit of live sports. Honestly, I would watch dressage yeah. right now if it was on the TV. Yeah. That's what it's called. Well, snooker to. as well is the perfect sport for people who, you know, it's, it's kind of, I, I can't think what, what the word is here, they're kind of, it's just very calming. Uh, and to just put that on, and just whilst everyone is in self-isolation, uh, it can actually do some good, I think. <laughs> but anyway, that's by the yeah, by. but it was still require TV cover, it was still require staffing. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's it's true. easier, hello, yeah. What, what, if you're going to be able to do something behind closed doors, and snooker's probably the best yeah. option. I mean, there's, yeah, there's other there's bands doing you know live Facebook things and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's definitely something to look into, I think. But as you say, that the, look, if I was rich and I could buy a test right now, I would. Yeah. I'd buy it for my parents, and I don't care what people think. I'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it doesn't change the fact that it's a disgrace that NHS staff aren't getting them. But as you say, even for a few snooker players. That still, you know, it still jars, mm. does it not, that they get them when those on the front line are not. I, I would put it forward as a public service. <laughs> I would say I would. Yeah. I generally do mean that as well. If it's if it's forty or fifty tests in the great scheme of things, uh, I would say it's a public service to get some sport on television and just get people talking about something other than this coronavirus and you know for the kind of spirit of a nation. But that well, what 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 the sponsors could do is pay for some. Well, is that, yeah. As part of the putting it on, and say we'll 
we'll put forward some money to buy a few thousand kits for those that most need. Well, there's a, there is that danger, isn't it? it? We've seen this with football with the wages, where people say, "Oh, I can't believe Wayne Rooney earns this amount of money," or you know, uh, Alexis Sanchez earns this amount of money, whereas this is the wage of a nurse. And of course, they're not comparable because it's not as if Alexis Sanchez has robbed all this money that would have gone to a nurse. Um, so it, I'm assuming the same can be said of Tess, really. Um, I just can't believe both of you are advocating test washing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what I'm saying, the, the big kind of um, area of criticism is that these doctors and nurses aren't getting you know, these tests available. Whether you know someone is paying for a test elsewhere might be a separate thing. Um, you know, I don't know. It's not as if they're taking the test away from a, a doctor's clutches. But anyway, without controversial area... <laughs> Not very well navigated. Let's move on to the main thrust of today's pod, which is basically some reminiscences. Um, I think if we're all going to be in self-isolation and we're, we are undoubtedly in a time of crisis, um, nostalgia is is a comforting thing, and particularly when that surrounds Manchester City. So I'm going to be asking our guests today on their best and worst, their favourites, their least favourites. Um, and we're going to start with an obvious one of a favourite ever City player um, it doesn't even have to be City uh, so we'll start with you Andrew so for me I think I have to go with the he is both a City player and an American player that is the reason I'm a City fan and in my opinion is the greatest American player of all time which is Demarcus Beasley um, only played for City for one year on mm-hmm. loan but um, we're talking about someone who if the Champions League got the kind of attention it does now in the States, would be so well-known because of how far he went with PSV. I mean, he played for Rangers, City. I mean, he had a kind of storied European career at a time when most Americans didn't. And so for me, I will always appreciate player. And he literally just retired this year at the age of, I think, like 40 or 41. Um came back to the States and played in MLS for years. Um, just, he's a great guy. He's from my neck of the woods. Um, scored, I think, three goals for City in his time, including a, ma- a match winner against West Ham that I'll always hmm. remember. Um, I'm actually wearing his 2006-2007 uh, away kit right now, which is the glorious kit that had the uh, six-pack on it. I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know. If, if, if you look it up, it's like a black kit that has a like six-pack printed onto the front of the kit which is hilarious to me i um, mean like mussels or yeah. six cans of lager I, I prefer the six cans of lager but unfortunately <laughs> no it's six pack of mussels right. so i mean for me it's it's no question yeah. there okay howard who's your favorite ever player your choice is the player that i always say is named the wrong way around but i think i called him marcus de beasley for about 10 years <laughs> That that dirt is in the wrong place for me. So, uh, well, I read this question as City player, but I guess even if it wasn't, mm. it would still be a City player. So, and I'm not going to be controversial. I'm going straight for an obvious choice, and that's Vincent Company. Mm. Uh, really? Well, that was a surprise. I thought you were going to go with uh, someone a bit earlier, but yeah. What for favourite ever player? Yeah. Yeah. So of the old school, I. Who who stands out? Uh, you know, yeah, you know, I love player like I love Flickoff, I love Paul Lake, but of course with the injuries, it's hard to define what they could yeah. have been. You know, even and obviously Georgia King Clancy and Ali Benabia would be right near the top. But, well, I thought it was going to be a Benabia. But or it's Kinky, two but, yeah. seasons, one in the Premier League. He only had one good season with City. He could still be my favourite player because for that one season, hmm. in the, you know. That season is just one of my favourite seasons ever, and he was the focal point for it. Uh, so he's near the top. But when it comes down to it, just look at everything Vinny's been represented, done. And I think what gets him over the line is that goal against Leicester. It just, you know, scoring the goal against United in 2012 is one thing, but to then do it against Leicester yeah. just takes him ahead of. David Silva on another day I'll say David Silva on another day I'll say Sergio Aguero or I might pine for Ali Bernabio on Sunday but Vinny and it's off the pitch it's his stuff for the homelessness you know the homeless people his 
the way he talks, he carries himself, how other players have said how he's what leader and how he's inspired him off the pitch and in the dressing room. And the fact that three years ago we were probably giving up on him with the injuries, he was probably ready to go and he kept going, came back and had an in- scored one of the most important goals in our history. So for everything he represents on and off the pitch, it's it's Vinny for me. Okay. I, well, I'm actually going to go with Paul Lake. Because yeah. um, uh, just the age I was, well, we're kind of the same age, aren't we? But the age I was when I came through and really started to kind of become obsessed with City and kind of go every, you know, week in, week out. And to see this player who was captain of, made captain of City, age 21, played in nine different positions by the age of 21, was regarded as a future England great. I mean, the fact that England missed out on Paul Gascoigne and Paul Lake in the middle of, of a park for over a 10-year period is, is, you know, a crying shame, really. Um, and just the type of player he was, I, I just, I've never seen a player like him since. Um, I've seen players as good as him and better than him, although you don't know what he would have gone on to, to become, of course. Um, but I've never seen a player quite like him um, he, he just had a certain kind of languid style about him. It just seemed to be so natural. What you were looking at, it just seemed to be kind of genetics as much as anything else. It's it so, so graceful and, and elegant and, and just normal to him. Um, and yeah, so I'll go for Paul Lake. And, and I think everyone, and certainly every fan base, has a player who they can say to other fan bases, no, you have to take our word for it. This guy was special. And, and certainly, you know, Lakey was that for us. So, uh, on to the second one now. Can I just say about Paul Lake? Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some players that play in different positions that are jack-of-all-trades. Mm. But then there's other players like Paul Lake who do it because they're just natural at the sport. It's like those well, old old, yeah. vic- old Victorian sportsmen who represent England at cricket at four different sports or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because they just had a natural talent. For I, doing I, I wrote I wrote that very same thing once. I I, I think I wrote it for King of the Kipax. I said it wasn't about him being versatile and being kind of jack of all trades. It was about City thinking right. Where do we best utilize this once in a lifetime talent that we have? Um, and so okay, let's try him at centre back. Let's try midfield. And he, he played everywhere. So. Um, right, so moving on, uh, favourite ever City goal and why? Um, do you guys want to take it in turns or do you want to start with Andrew and then Howard for each no, one? Yeah, we'll alternate if you want. Okay, so Howard, favourite ever goal? Well, it's obviously Aguero, but I'm not going to talk about that. So <laughs> okay. it's too obvious. Uh, I'm not going to talk about poor Dickos either because maybe that's too obvious. But, <laughs> and I, I honestly sat down this morning for about half an hour going, Oh God! Which one? <laughs> uh, which? And then I thought of one—one one that means absolutely everything to me—and it's Yaya Torre's goal at Newcastle, the nice. week, the week yeah. before, which yeah. really, to me, is as important as the Aguero goal. And I can't put into words what that meant—the relief that coursed through my body when that nestled into the back of the net cannot be put into words. It's. And just watch the goal as well. I mean, it's just classic Yaya. We were getting to that stage of the game, 70 minutes plus, was it? Like mm. like Vincent Company against Leicester, you get to that point where you're starting to watch the clock tick down and you know you need to get the goal. And it's like the, the anxiety is, you know, at half time, it's like, it's okay, we've got plenty of time to win this. When you get to past 70, then when you go and it's going to hit 80 soon, you're getting really anxious. For him to score that goal, and then do it again soon after was just oh my god what a day that was and the outpouring of relief at full time on that game because that is when I truly believed we were going to win the league good right nice one um, and it's a belting goal as I say just watch straight behind goal. him just watch it's, I think it's Tim Cruel isn't it it's just there yeah just can't get you know he dies he sees it coming cruel and he dies for length <laughs> but it's curled into that corner it's a perfect goal even even yeah. if you take away the context, it's absolutely the way he just strokes it in from twenty-five yards. Amazing, Andrew. So I similarly uh, limited myself by trying to not talk about the obvious <laughs> ones. Although I will say, uh, company screamer against Leicester will always hold a special place in my heart because not only what it meant and who it was that scored it, but being in a 
a new um, city and a pub that I had never been in with a bunch of city fans I didn't know and started hugging them the moment it went in. Mm-hmm. And then also watching the Liver- one Liverpool fan in the bar smash his beer bottle down, kick his chair back and just storm out of the bar. <laughs> it was just truly magical. Um, but so I've got two that I was... Um, I couldn't settle between because they mean different things to me for different reasons. So the first is David Silva's first goal against Blackpool. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because if you watch that goal and then you listen to all of the shite that was talked about, he's too small, he'll never make it in the Premier League, watch that goal and tell me how on earth you think that this guy won't go on to become one of the greatest all-time <sighs> Premier League players. Because he takes out three players and then just nestles the ball in the top left corner. I mean, it's it's a stunning goal and showed every bit that he was going to be this player that maybe if you look at him, you don't understand why he's successful. But when you watch it, you're like, okay, he's he's going to be just fine. And for yeah. me, that was it was awesome to see a player like that because that was one of the first times I remember seeing a player for City and being like, oh, my God. And then... <laughs> The, the second one, which I I would almost bet that you two didn't see live, but you may have seen it, but it's uh, Caroline Weir's first Manchester Derby goal in the WSL. Is it last season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The screwed up clearance that she just takes with her foot, brings down, takes a couple steps, and I mean, it's a 20-yard. I mean, if that goal gets scored by anyone in the Premier League, that would be in the mm. talks for the Puskas Award for best goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that that is the first goal scored in the Manchester Derby on the women's side, I mean, that just puts such a stamp on what City has done for women's soccer, in my opinion, which, yeah. as an American, I have a special place in my heart for women's soccer because our men's soccer is so terrible that what else do I have to rely on? Um but that goal to me, it's one of the best goals I've ever seen. And I was watching the game live, um, and it was just incredible. So those are my two. Great show on the latter one. Great show. Okay, well, this is kind of quite broad, this, this subject, but favorite ever City moment, um, Andrew? So uh, I've got one more serious one, and then a quick little shout for a funny one. Okay. Um, so this is not the commentary I saw live, but watching back ninety three twenty with Peter Drury's commentary. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, I think Drury every bit of commentary he does is just incredible. I mean, his Vincent Company commentary is my favorite too. But I remember seeing the highlights with his commentary after the game. And the two lines that will always stick in my mind is where does football go from here? <sighs> Which, if only we knew what was going to happen over the next decade. <laughs> and then the blue moon has risen. I mean, it's just, when you watch it back, it just it still gives me chills. Yeah. Uh, and then more recent, um, because of the, the schedule of events, or the schedule of games and the time change over here, uh, most Champions League games are kind of towards the end of the workday, but sometimes um, where there's not really a chance for me to duck out and I'm still working. And the uh, Atalanta game, I wasn't watching because I had a meeting and then I was finishing some stuff up. And then I was like, oh, the game's almost over. And um, it kind of, you know, looks like it's a close game here. I'll turn it on. And I turned it on and I hadn't, I try to keep notifications off during those games if I'm not watching. And I tune in to see Kyle Walker (laughs) in net, which might be the most city moment of all time. (laughs) Because I had no context for what had happened. I'm just yeah. like, what? what? <laughs> so I'm yeah. frantically scrolling Twitter while the game is on, trying to figure out what on earth has happened so that our right back is in at goal. But I will say, Kyle Walker is also the only uh, keeper that Atalanta faced this season in the Champions League that they did not score on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, there's, there is that thing, isn't it? It's happened to me once in the last few years. Um where if you don't have your notifications on, or obviously if you're not watching it live, then playing catch-up, there's a, a huge acute sense of panic, isn't it, until you know exactly where you are and you know where you are within the game. Because when um, City played Tottenham recently, um, I was covering it. You know, I had to write about it, but uh, I'd, I'd pretty much been up the previous night and I fell asleep. 
So I woke up and it was like half time. I was like, oh my God, I've missed half of... I was panicking like hell. And then I looked on Twitter and all I was seeing was, you know, kind of scandal, controversy, scandal, controversy, sterling should have been sent off, penalty. And I didn't have a clue where I was. It was the weirdest kind of sense of disorientation I've had for quite some time. So, yeah, that, that's always um, a lesson learned. If, ever, if I'm not at the game, just always keep my notifications on and kind of, you know... Um, how did you say your sitting moment? Get it to Guero, so and I can't really divert from that. So <laughs> well, of course, yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. kind of cheat, I will say. Well, no, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go. I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> I was going to. I was going to. I mentioned the two Yaya goals at Wembley in 2011. Right yeah. up there for different reasons. Don't really need much explanation. So the moment I it's more than a moment, it's a minute or so, is the, the minute after the goal, Aguero's goal, which is yeah. the celebration of the goal itself is without doubt the most manic, joyous minute of my life and always will be yeah. because it's unbeatable and no further explanation needed from, from me about to give up football for the rest of my life <laughs> and never turn the internet on again <laughs> to being the happiest I've ever been uh, that minute the, the limbs <laughs> I was kicked black and blue in that minute I ended up nowhere near my seat I, didn't, I was stood next to people I'd never seen before didn't know where I was and it was just the most brilliant minute I could ever have as a football well, I'm going to go for quite a niche personal one which was the 6-0 against Chelsea um, last February um, because the the full realization of what we were seeing under Pep, and I'm sure it hit other people far earlier than it hit me. And I'm not for one minute, you know, proclaiming that right up until that Chelsea game, I was kind of in denial and kind of, oh my god, I can't believe how great this is. This is all a dreamland, you know. Of course, I'd absorbed how amazing we were, but that was the full realisation just hitting me within one game um, and the context of it too um, we lost to Newcastle then we beat Arsenal beat Everton and then came Chelsea and Liverpool fans were thinking this will be the one that gets him you know this is going to be the one that kind of it's going to be our year spank him 6-0 and, and the manner of that performance and just how just dominated a really really good Chelsea side and I don't know why, just personally, that was the game where it was like, wow, this is this is my team. This is, I'm watching this. This is my team. Um, and it kind of really just fully absorbed it all. And it was a wonderful personal moment for me that, um, yeah. I almost picked the Aguero goal from that match for my favorite goal. And I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Mm. Because... He missed the easiest goal I've ever seen moments <laughs> earlier. And then just to smack that in, I was like, of course. Like, why why, did, why was I ever angry? You were always going to do something this magical. I do love that. I love it when, when footballers act on pure instinct and anger. I mean, we saw it against Liverpool as well, didn't we? The kind of... Because, you know, that was a penalty before he scored against Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, and he was so angry. He was like, OK, I've had that. And I, I love that. And, you know, as much as I hate Wayne Rooney, that, that goal he scored against Newcastle, um, he was fouled, wasn't he? And he was, he was basically protesting to the ref. The ball just came over and he just whacked it. And it was a great volley against Newcastle. And I do love that. They, they just kind of take everything else aside and just become a pure footballer and just, you know, kind of right wrongs with their talent. It's good to see. Okay, uh, the funniest thing that you have heard, seen, or encountered as a blue, um, Howard. Uh, I've probably forgotten some of these, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've uh, I'm gonna go. One. I've only laughed. I've I've celebrated so much and smiled, but I've only truly doubled over in laughter once in, inside the Etihad. <laughs> right. and that was Adebayor's goal celebration against right. Arsenal. Yeah. I was right next to the away fans. And I saw, celebrated the goal, and I thought, "Oh, he's running! <laughs> he's running towards us here. What's he doing?" And it's like, "Oh, he's still running!" And then he slid in front, and they are still fans. Honestly, if you, I know you've seen the memes for it, it's the passive aggressiveness, mm. like trying to get to him without having any intention of getting to him. And I said at the time, I mean, it was wrong what he did, but as a city supporter, it was like, 
That's hilarious. I mean, the, the chip on his shoulder all this time that he's run all the way down the pitch just to celebrate in front of them. And I turned to my mate and said, he's going to be in trouble for that. But I laughed, <laughs> I laughed so hard at that, honestly. Uh, that aside, I have no examples, but I would say on Twitter... Twitter could be utter detritus of the human race and so many things are wrong with it but so many things on Twitter down the years football related have made me laugh that probably if I had a good memory most of the answers would come off there Yeah. Uh, and it normally involves beginnings when your team's doing well and just bragging over other teams to be honest but you know it's just for the stupid things people say and getting back at them and some of the jokes and how we as a city fan base, we can have a laugh at ourselves sometimes. Yeah. I would say a lot of the truly funny moments have probably been on social media for all its faults. So. Um, Andrew? So uh, I kind of have two that happened in the exact same day. So on the last pod I was on, I'd mentioned um, the NBC Fan Fest. It was like the, the live watch party, and they have the pregame show there in Boston that I went to. And, uh, you know, City obviously is the Premier League champions at the time and with their investment to try to grow the u.s fan base kind of had a good presence there and they'd done a lot to make sure that they got fans in but there was one united fan there and united didn't play that day and he was just in amongst all of us and he was trying to get into the shot of i think i don't know if it was a pregame show or if it was the halftime show or whatever um but he started yelling about how you know your club will never be as glorious as mine blah 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 <laughs> And I'm standing next to this guy who I chatted with for maybe 30 seconds before, and he was from Manchester. He was a grad student in Boston. And we just both look at each other, and we start singing, it's only 6-1, it's only 6-1, 30,000 empty seats, it's only 6-1. And the guy turns around and looks at us and goes, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I've never laughed Uh, so hard with someone that I barely knew as a stranger. (laughs) Um, and then the follow-up of that is they had brought out uh, Sean Wright Phillips to this event. Mm. And there's a thing they do at these with this guy who's a pancake artist, so he can make pancakes that look like whatever. Right. And they made Sean Wright Phillips try to make himself as a pancake, like do a pancake portrait. <laughs> and it was so horrendously bad when he lifted it up on live TV to show like what he had done. I you could just see the look of embarrassment on his yeah. face. And I was like, what are we doing to this absolute legend? <laughs> the first thing you think of is, yeah, let's get short to make a pancake. Yeah, I've heard of balloons making shit. <laughs> yeah. Pancakes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the guy who does it as, like, the thing there, he's like Dan the Pancake Man or something. He's really good. Um, but... You know, if you're not a pancake artist professionally, um, I don't know that any of us could make our pancakes look like ourselves. <laughs> um, okay, well, my, I've, I've mentioned on the pod um, a couple of times where, when I was about nine, ten, um, my brother would take me to City one week, my dad would take me to United the next, and this went on for about a season um, until I just stuck with City. Uh, so it was around that time this happened, and I can't remember exactly if it was Kenny Clemens, but it was a it was a left back I think for City uh, and it's the best bit of abuse I ever heard because it's it's not clever it's not funny but it's always stood by me because of his determination to say it and how long it took him to shout this out and it was heard by the player and it was basically Clements when you go home every night does your son turn to you and say dad why are you so shit <laughs> which like I say it's not a particularly clever thing but it's really elongated <laughs> <laughs> surely there are shorter insults <laughs> and it was heard really clearly everyone laughed around him and the player heard it and I, I was right by the, the, the bloke and I saw the anger I mean his face was red with anger and I was like oh god I like it in here you know because it was in the Kipax and I think possibly maybe about 2% of the reason why I stayed a City fan was that Rather ridiculous and pathetic chant, but there you go. Um, the player you always wished had signed for City, um, Andrew. RVP, hands down. Wow, um, that's my. I, I won't say mine because that was my choice too. So, it, come. When I saw this question, I, it was immediately what I thought of because to me, that title was decided the moment 
United got him over yeah, us. I mean, absolutely. At, at that point in our history where we're finally, you know, the noisy neighbors comment isn't really so accurate anymore. You know, we were becoming a more dominant force and to go toe to toe with United, lose out on him and then watch him hand the title to Ferguson, which I would have loved to, you know, deny him again and not give him that moment to walk out on. Um, just to me, it's the player that makes the most sense. Uh, Close second, though, is Isco. You know, I've always mm. wanted Isco to be signed for City because I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Just for the chance. Just for the chance, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that season, uh, United scored 20 goals more than, than City. Uh, Van Persie scored over 20 goals. Um, Mancini later claimed it wasn't about money. Uh, and they were both very much kind of in the running t- for the signature. So it's never been determined what made him go towards Old Trafford and City because at that point as you say we were very much in the uh, ascendancy so yeah that's the one that really kind of bothered me um, Howard? I've heard it was all about money because we were actually worried about financial fair play at the time which is mm. why we made such underwhelming signings that summer but yeah. who knows uh, I mean I'm going to go quite recent because when City were rubbish, I mean, I could just give you lots of <laughs> spurious names that we could never have got anywhere. Sorry to interrupt, but I was trying to remember all, every. What were the ones? Can, does any come to mind? You're like in, in the crap years where every summer there was one where you think, oh my God, I'd be amazing if we signed him. But we were never going to sign him in a million years. Oh, no, no. I've been utterly ridiculous, like Ronaldinho or the original Ronaldo. Or mm. like that that we were never going to sign. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there were any that I thought generally excited me that we thought I thought we were in the chance with. Uh, you know, at the time I certainly hoped we'd get Kaka when it was looking yeah. likely, uh, yeah. but we probably dodged a bullet uh, there. I th- obviously Lionel Messi is one <laughs> is the <laughs> obvious one because if I could see him in the city shirt, you know, it could still happen. But let's be honest, it it isn't. Uh, I I tend to go for. In recent times, there's two. Uh, now, my favorite, all-out favorite striker before he went to United and ruined everything was Falcao. Mm-hmm. I just thought he was an out-and-out striker and I wanted City to get him. And when he went to United, obviously I was glad it didn't work out, but I was kind of sad as well that the knee injuries he'd had had made yeah. a lesser player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that goal and the other one, City was... which we could, definitely could have got, is David Villa. Because uh, yeah, I just chat. thought he's a class player that could have done something for City at the end of his career. And of course, as he went to the City group anyway, uh, I, I'm sure we could have got him if we wanted to. And I just He's just one of those players that I really like to watch and I thought could have done a job at City towards the end of his career. Okay, uh, we're moving on now to the angriest you've ever felt at City. <laughs> <laughs> um, Howard, where did you start? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you could choose relegations and stuff, but I'm not sure I was angry or just down. Yeah. And the QPR before it all fitted into place again was partly anger, partly anger that my club had let me down again. When just when I thought they weren't going to let me down, they'd let me down. But it was half just pure despair and despondency as well. So this is really irrational, my choice, because it shouldn't be the choice that's made me the angriest because it's not the worst thing that's happened to this club but I've rarely if ever been angrier at City than when we let that 2-0 lead slip the other season when we could have against United United yeah really I was fuming so I think we played Liverpool on the Wednesday in the Champions League so like the second leg Mm. of the Champions League having lost the first one 3-0 it was like that week of destiny wasn't it so we lost the 3-0 and I thought, well, if we win the league against United, we might never get the, the fixtures might never fall for us again that we get this chance. Now, if we just played rubbish and lost, I'm like, well, it didn't happen. But the fact we were two 0 up at half time and it should have been eight or nine, yeah, and then let it slip against this bang average United side. Honestly, by the Wednesday, I was still absolutely fuming. I was just in a foul mood for days, and that's my choice. Okay, uh, Andrew. That was a, a close one for me. Um, I was at a bar in Chicago that was mostly City, but had a hefty contingent of United. And 
I, I, we ended up leaving because I just couldn't handle the United fans. Hmm. I, after, after the goal went and I was like, I'm, I can't be around these people right now. Um, but for me, both of mine, you know, being a, a relatively newer city fan, um, mine actually both kind of fall more on the club less so than the games and the yeah. matches themselves. So one was the Bernardo Mendy incident of this season because mm-hmm. I was just outraged at how poorly the club handled it, both mm-hmm. in the initial response and then just their inability to understand what the issue was and to get someone to explain to Pep. And I mean, the amount of money this club has and you can't get better PR and media people that can <laughs> explain the issue to yeah. stop the the news cycle because it just it was abysmal. Um, and then the second one was uh, actually earlier this year, but when I realized that the reason we failed FFP was because we signed Wilfred fucking Boney. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mind that, though, because that, that gives us a get out. I, I've said that to a few kind of Liverpool mates of mine, and, and it does sink home. You can actually see it. They'll never admit it, of course, but you can see it in their eyes. They, they kind of think, oh, oh, yeah, I guess. So, because if it was, you know, a, a better player, shall we say, then it would give us less of kind of uh, ground to stand on. I mean, yeah, it's it's fair, but it's just the the fact that I I've never understood that signing. I've never understood. <laughs> no, like, I mean, true. it's just a combination of how poorly it worked out. Even though he seems like a very nice guy, and I don't have anything against him personally, but that just I I just couldn't handle it when I realized that. Yeah. Okay, well, I I toyed with going with the kind of keeping possession against Liverpool when another goal was needed to stay yeah. up. Um, one that actually really came to the fore, and although City are not remotely to blame for this, was Howard Kendall leaving us. Um, obviously, the anger was aimed at Kendall rather than uh, the club, but that, that I was surprised that came to the fore when I was thinking about this. Um, and what was his quote? Something about how we were a mistress, but Everton was his wife or something. Yeah. Because uh, we were really going somewhere under Kendall, I thought. Um, but for me, it's Real Madrid, uh, Champions League, semi-final, yeah. 2016. Just didn't turn up to do it. When, when you compare it to the, the enthusiasm and the kind of just everything good that was the, the PSG game in, in the quarter-final, um, and league form that year was stuttering, you know, and kind of were drifting along and suddenly we're in the semi-final of the Champions League and it just felt, I felt that was going to be our year um, at risk of sounding like a Liverpoolian and yeah, for it not to turn up was criminal, you know, if you if you go out, you give it your best and you get spanked 3-4-0 at the Bernabeu fair enough, but to not turn up ugh, yeah, that's the angry now um, <laughs> moment that personally means a lot to you as a blue, and this really could be anything, um, Andrew? So, I, it took a while for me to figure this out, and then I realized that the answer was obvious. I just don't know why I didn't think of it, but it was just walking into the Etihad Stadium for the first time in 2013 when I first got to go over. Um, what, what was the game? Uh, it was uh, City Spurs, 6 0. Mm. All right. <laughs> Yeah, but but it's it's not even the game itself that meant so much. It was the the experience and the kind of just the the stuff leading up to the match, um, getting to experience the pre match festivities and walking into a you know a pub and mm. just seeing the the atmosphere and the environment and then just kind of emerging into the stadium and kind of hearing the the chanting and the liveliness of the crowd. I mean, it was just it, it was yeah. a really cool experience to finally see it live um you know i was i always tell people that one of the reasons i love soccer is that soccer live might be the best atmosphere of sports i've ever experienced as an american the only things that come close are collegiate sports here um professional sports you just don't get the atmosphere that you do and i think that getting to walk in and experience that live i mean I don't want to say it was a religious experience the way that, you know, a pilgrimage to, to Mecca or Rome would be, but I don't know that it was far off. Was it? Was there any surprising aspects? I mean, not just even maybe the, the ground or kind of, you know, just about the trip maybe, but was, was there anything what surprised you, what, you know, or what differed from your expectations? 
I mean, for me, it was a little bit how much into the cr- the match the entire crowd kind of was, mm. um, particularly around where I am. But then also just how nice everyone was. Um, in America, okay. if you went to a sporting event alone, um, even if you're sitting with other fans of your team, you probably aren't going to strike up a chat or have any really cool shared experiences with those people. But um, the fact that even though I was an American and I wasn't a quote-unquote local I was just treated with nothing but a warm attitude and a welcome atmosphere, and it was just a really great experience. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Howard, beat that. <laughs> well, mine's a humble plug, I'm afraid. Oh, right, okay. No, well, by answering that, you've reminded me of one, which was, and it wasn't the way I wanted it to happen, but going to watch City in the 99 playoff final, mm. just watching them at Wembley. Yeah. It wasn't this the third tier playoff was not how I'd pictured it as a child. <laughs> but to walk down I mean it was a stadium that was you know, that needed knocking down in a way. But it was still Wembley. Wembley's always meant something to me. Uh, at least as a kid and a young adult. And to walk down out the concourse first time and see it there and see the team play there was amazing. Uh, but the humble brag is just to and I might have mentioned it before is being invited on not not the players parade bus obviously but the one that trundles down <laughs> in 2014 I honestly didn't believe that I thought it was a joke email after we beat Liverpool to league in 2014 I was so hung over the next morning I seriously thought no I'm not doing it I'm just sitting on the internet like I did after we won it against QPR that's how I want to spend my day finally did it got on the bus it trundled around the corner and when it went on to and this is not about me. <laughs> when it went on to Deansgate, I remember that view for the rest of my life. Yeah. You didn't have to you didn't have to be on the bus. You could have been stood at the end of Deansgate to have this moment yourself. It was just it'd been chucking down all morning and the clouds cleared at about lunchtime. Glorious blue and the whole of Deansgate was just to the horizon was wall to wall blue. Hmm. And that was just the most amazing moment ever as a city fan, I think. Well, I, off the off the pitch anyway. Yeah, I, I've I've said mine, I've included mine in print several times, so I feel like I'm just kind of rehashing it. But if anyone's kind of not heard this before, it's only a tiny little moment, but it's always meant a, a great deal to me. Was um, the second goal against United in '89, which came so swiftly after the first goal, and it was just absolute mayhem uh, in the Kipax, and you know I, I ended up about eighty yards away from brother. Um, fell on the floor um, just limbs all around me um, God knows how old I am 13, 12, something like that maybe 14 and um, yeah about 14 and a guy picked me up and he was in his kind of late 80s and he had no teeth and and he picked me up and uh, he kind of just did that kind of cartoon thing of just kind of you know, get my cheek and, just, and he just went magic eh and then he, then he was gone because the celebrations were still going on. So you know, was, he went eight yards one way, I went eight yards the next. But it was just a little snapshot of just lovely two very different generations and just him saying, yeah, magic, eh? And, I mean, to him, it was far more magical than even it was to me because, you know, the dross he would have seen preceding it. Um, but, yeah, my, my most meaningful moment as a City fan is uh, a friend of mine passed away uh, a couple of years after this happened. Um and it was winning the FA Cup uh, 2011 and I phoned my friend up and um, I, I just said that we did it we did it and he couldn't hear me because of the noise every, around and he thought I said we deserve it and I said yeah <laughs> it was just again just a little snapshot but you know and I know we all actually I've just did a very quickly a, a, a third one which was after the QPR game and a very old gentleman outside the ground, and I just shook his hand, and I just said it was a you know privilege to, to have this day with you, you know, just to being just to share that with with that generation. But yeah, I'm not alone now. It's, it's every fan, isn't it? We we have these little snapshots, and they just mean a great deal to us. And a lot of times they kind of remain private, and it's it's nice to share. It's nice to kind of get them out there. Right, completely contrasting all that, uh, most heartbreaking moment as a blue. Um, Howard Whew, so little to choose from <laughs> uh, obviously relegations hit hard because I think one of my first memories is 
Relegation in 83. Can you I remember that? I only remember stood in my kitchen listening to the radio, so I yeah. wasn't at, at the matches that yeah. season. Uh, but I do kind of remember stood by the radio, yeah, listening to it, mm. uh, I think, unless I you know, misremembered it. Uh, so relegations are an obvious choice, but I don't know, they kind of seemed inevitable during <laughs> our history. Winning 5-2 at Stoke to go down to the third tier was a definitely, mm. definitely a low. Yeah, it's more the typical city that they managed to put on one of the best performances and then get relegated uh, and then of course it all kicked off as Stoke got relegated as well but my choice probably is walking out of Main Road for the final time in 2003 mm. uh, just a strange day I just a heart sink you know I think I think most fans were fine with the decision and well, not totally fine, but we kind of accept that we had to move on. And even if we'd all been 100% behind the move, just we obviously lost home Southampton. The way the after the game bit was a bit badly handled. People left at different times. So I actually left by myself. I hung around for far too long. Walked out by myself with the last few people. Mm. And it, yeah, it was just a horrible, horrible moment to know that I wouldn't be going. I wouldn't be watching a football match at that ground again. Okay. Andrew? I know that uh, Howard has spoken about this one um, because he was there live. Um, <laughs> but but for me, the, it's the combination of how high I felt for just a moment only to be ripped down to earth as though someone just took wings off of me, ripped them off, and let me plummet. But Sterling's winner against Spurs getting called oh, off. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I had ducked out of work early, gotten to the pub because I was like, I can't not watch this live. I'm going to, like, I wouldn't have gotten any work done anyways if I was just trying to watch it on my phone <laughs> or something. So I was like, I'm just going to leave. And, I mean, that match was insane. Um, and then to score that goal, to be so excited, and then just look at the TV and realize, damn it. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I just can't think of any other time that emotionally I've felt so destroyed well, in I, such a brief moment. I, I forgot completely about that. I mean, when I was kind of thinking about the different options here, I, I would put that up there for me as well, undoubtedly. I, I, I actually overlooked that one because it was such a horrendous moment, wasn't it? That, that kind of when, when you absorbed the information um, from VAR and you just felt bereft and cheated frankly but yeah and and actually did did you mention Jekko's goal earlier Howard about um, the equaliser against QPR was it when you said about um, it making you feel angry no, no, no I don't think so no oh, but yeah I'll put that up there as well just that kind of you know Jekko's goal against QPR did not give me any hope at all it made me bereft and it made me angry and it made me heartbroken um, that was when you know I started to really think my club was mocking me um, and that football was mocking me and you know that it was all pointless and futile and nothing good would ever come of this world um, you know that, that that kind of um, I don't know what what's the kind of time between the two goals do you reckon was it two minutes two and a half minutes I'm guessing I've never actually looked it up to no, no I would guess it's me. about two minutes yeah and, and in those two minutes absolutely bereft um, more so than it was preceding the goal because um, you know it gave us hope and, and I didn't want hope at that point because I, I I knew I actually knew in my heart that that hope would not come to fruition um, and yet I've never been so happier to be so wrong Okay, um, if you could take one City game with you to a desert island to watch on repeat, which would it be, Andrew? So, the way I took this question was that because it's the only game I'm taking to an island, the consequences outside of that game don't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I took, weirdly, uh, City versus Spurs from last year, the quarterfinals. Because, right. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Because yeah. that game yeah. is just insane. Yeah. I mean, that, if you were trying to show a match to someone to try to convince them to be a fan of the game, 
<laughs> I don't know that you could pick a better example of just how absurd it can be. Yeah. Um, and so I want something that's entertaining. I want drama. I want something that I could, you know, if I watched it again right now, it would suck me in because I know the ending, but the how it gets there is just so crazy. I think I a lot of the games I was considering for this, they were all kind of in that realm of just crazy, insane back and forth games. Hmm. Well, I guess, you know, if you did take this with Desert Island, you can always just press stop, couldn't you, just before it went to VAR, and <laughs> uh, it would be the perfect game then. Yeah. Uh, Howard, what about yourself? I've used exactly the same criteria. Right. Uh, I don't need to see the 6-1 again, because, to be honest, it's all about the second half, that game, mm. as was QPR, in a way, and I've seen that so often. I don't really need to watch it on repeat. It's in my head. So I've just gone for pure entertainment as well because you know, if you've got to watch it a lot. Then I've gone for the five three against Monaco for the same reasons Andrew's <laughs> chosen his for mm. sheer entertainment value. That is that and the Spurs game are probably top of the list for me. The only mm. other one I might choose is the two one win against fewer goals, but just for tension, the two one win against Liverpool. Yeah. In January, was it last year? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it'd be good to watch that again, so I could see the last five minutes because I didn't watch the last five minutes. I couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't take I, it. Uh, I can't remember them. No, no, so no I can't remember no. anything after Sane scored the win. Looked at the clock for the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, I think the Monaco one because you know it's even got a ridiculous non-penalty appeal, uh, non-yellow <laughs> card dive for Aguero when he was yeah. chopped down. It's got Falco's ridiculously good goal. It's got yeah. the comeback as well. So it's a it's a game that literally delivers entertainment from very early in the game. Uh, and I don't think I've ever rewatched it. So, you know, I can go in quite blind in a way. What funny you goals. say that? Uh, it's a coincidence you say that because I saw the highlights for the first time in Eons uh, last week. And it really, I was like, oh my God, why have I not watched this sooner? Um, yeah, I mean, I want to go for seven two against Stoke because I thought that was just a oh. masterclass of football, um, and, and yeah, to just watch that for the rest of eternity would be would be okay with me. Is it and KDB it, to Sane that is just mm-hmm. the absurd slide rule pass that I still yeah. don't understand? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And going back to the, the Falcao goal against Monaco, what really stood out for me on that is you know every, you know KDB can do that in training. You know, David Silva can do it in training. Falcao can obviously can. to do that in a quarter final of the Champions League. Just ridiculous. Plus uh, sixteen, sadly. Yeah. And there was a they missed a penalty as well, didn't they? So they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, who knows? However, however many other chances I've even forgotten about it. That was just a crazy match. Yeah. I think we can safely say if you chopped off that kind of last minute bar kind of call against Spurs those three games would stand anyone in good stead yeah. uh, I think there's excitement and you know individual brilliance galore okay let's end with how would you describe Manchester City to someone who has no knowledge uh, or interest in football um, is it your turn Howard I've just written down bunch of mercenary cheats <laughs> <laughs> you mean Manchester City I've heard of it. <laughs> I've written a, a pretty pathetic script for this so should I just okay. you go for it yeah well yeah I've got if you want to describe it I would say so what I've written down off the top of my head a football club founded in the 19th century that like mm-hmm. most has had a mixed but rich history a club whose fans went through thin and thin and developed a gallows humour a club that thus attracted those that liked an underdog a club who play in the best colour of all, that's important, <laughs> whose failures once made it one of the most popular clubs for other fan bases, but who became the most hated club in the world after winning the lottery in 2008, due mostly to pure envy. So what the club is right now is a wealthy, powerful global entity that through investment and spending and influence quickly became the most successful English side of the past decade a situation that many of its established fan base still struggle to cope with, but has retained much of its roots. But at the end of the day, Manchester City is a football club based in Manchester 
that consists of a supremely talented bunch of players playing at a great stadium under the tutelage of the world's best manager and that's all you need to know. But even if you had no knowledge of football, I wouldn't need to tell you this because everybody knows their name. Oh. So there you go. Well played, sir. Andrew, how would you do so? I mean, I guess it's more pertinent as well in, in America. But there might well be people you're chatting to and they, they, they inquire about you and what your interests are and they might not have you know a great deal of knowledge about soccer. So I similarly kind of wrote something out, but I had to go with more of a metaphor because, to your point, they might not know soccer, so to talk about things. But what I said was, imagine finding a band in a coffee shop that hit it big when they were young and are now just playing in relative anonymity besides a small hardcore fan base. Then the next day, they're selling out Wembley for multi-night shows and putting out some of the biggest (laughs) hits in the world. Historic acts hate their new success as they still trade on their past glories and hits. <laughs> their old fans don't understand how this all happened, but are just enjoying one hell of a ride. And new fans are surprised to find a welcoming fan base that just appreciates good music and wants everyone to do the same. Yeah. Wonderful. Loving this. Loving this, guys. I've That's not, a good metaphor, that. It is. And I've not written anything down, nor have I an answer to this. Um... Yeah, I, I don't want to kind of, you know, um, be, be anti-climax to, to a really lovely ending there from the two of you. So I'm just going to wrap this up, if it's okay. And say to all our listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. And check out all the other podcasts, all the other great content that's on the platform, 920 platform. Um, so thank you very much for joining us today, Andrew. No problem, sir. Everybody stay well, stay safe. Absolutely. And thank you very much, Howard. Pleasure as always. Okay, guys, and um, yeah, we'll catch up with you again very soon. As Andrew says, stay safe, stay well, and um, up the blues.